Hi, diddly ho, preparinos. This is Nat, the preparedness guy on Preparedness Works. Preparedness Works is part of the Readiness Lab, which is the place for podcast webinars and training in the field of emergency and disaster services. Today, I have Vadim all the way from Australia. G'day, g'day. So, uh, since it's the end of the day there, is it going to be a good day? Uh, yeah, pretty good. Got a few things done. It's uh, just starting to turn the season from the cold winter into the warm spring and getting a bit warmer, so it's nice. Nice. Uh, so, tell us about yourself a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I've done a heap of different jobs from um, yeah blue collar and white dollar white collar uh, jobs and currently i live on a little farm running some beef cattle down in the south or the great southern of western australia and yeah it's uh, also work doing some health and safety consulting more in the prevention side than the preparedness but obviously it doesn't matter how well you prevent you've also got to be ready to deal with the aftermath so um currently uh, yeah, split between a couple of things of uh, trying to keep running the farm and work consulting with yeah safety and emergency and all sorts of stuff. That's awesome. I I don't know. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about Australia. I've never been. I do know a little bit about the Man from Snowy River, which I watched when I was a kid a lot. That's <laughs> uh, a good movie. Just... Yep, that's a classic. Yeah, I love it. Um, so tell us about some just some some emergencies and disasters experiences you you have and uh the specific hazards you face in your area um yes australia's a pretty big country like the man from snow river is just on uh what we call over on the eastern seaboard which is where the bulk of the population are it's probably about four or five thousand kilometers away it's a, a little just just up the road um right. so distance and um i mean australia's a pretty large country as well i think it's about a third the size of the US and Western Australia's uh, yeah a pretty big state. I think it's four times the size of Texas and and we've got about two and a half million people. The whole nation's got uh, twenty three or twenty four million people. So while it is large, um, it's pretty sparsely populated. So that can that adds another layer of complexity to um, resourcing. You don't have a like the nearest town um, is often a lot further away then yeah you've got a fair distance to cover so even all your day-to-day emergencies can be quite significant whether it be fires or just running out of fuel or, or simple things can end up being quite complex because of that right yeah the um we deal with with some rural area emergencies in in the u.s not anything as well um, you know widely spaced as you know from the east to the western of australia so uh, we definitely see a decline in response times when you get to a more rural area. And then when there's a large scale disaster, getting the resources to those areas is, uh, is a bigger, a bigger lift trying to get resources, not to a centralized location, but spreading them out, uh, efficiently throughout many different communities. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, um, like just where I am, I'm about 15 kilometers from my nearest town. Um, I think our mate, mate in the capital city of the state, Perth, uh, the response time for, say, if you call an ambulance, is a, I think it's somewhere in the vicinity of 12 minutes is the average because it's a, a 90, 95% of the population of the state is, is in or around Perth. And the um, out here, we have, like, it's 15 kilometres from the nearest town, but they're volunteer ambulance officers. So mm-hmm. you've got to get them potentially out of bed or from, like, it's a lot further to get. And the hospitals has, is quite sparsely um, 
staff. So anything more than the basic thing, you're still going to get referred 50 kilometres down to the nearest um, hospital. So your gold now from any injuries or emergencies is pretty rapidly eaten up when you're looking at those that resourcing. Yeah, of course. It's, it's crazy. So uh, what are some... Um some day-to-day things that you have to think about that that people in cities or over here in the States don't really have to think about when it comes to emergency preparedness? Um, it could, I mean, we've still got, in a rural area, uh, certainly with um, changing climates and, and bushland, it's not all desert like some of the movies make out over here. Um, there is still bush and, and a, fire, a significant fire risk. We've had some pretty serious fires um, across the, the nation. I mean, the world has, but yeah, Australia's, had its fair share over the last couple of years. So um, making sure you've got your basic fire preparedness um, is significant. Like you don't get to just go out and um, light a little campfire for half of the year. You need to have your emergency, like your fire trailer and fire extinguishers handy. Um, and and flooding has been a big one of late. Uh, so that's the eastern, eastern seaboards had sort of some extreme rains. But just for me, for me so last year was quite a wet winter. Uh, so there's two different um, access routes on the dirt track to get to and from the farm. One of them was virtually underwater for anything apart from a four wheel drive for at least three or four months last year. So it's just a normal little dirt road. It's been fine for the last 15 years, but one small, like just, and it wasn't even a big rainfall year. It was just consistent water logging. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so all of a sudden you, that added another 30 kilometer drive just to get into town. Wow. Wow. Does the uh, extra rainfall add to more plant growth, which then dries up later in the in the season and increases the fire risk? Yeah, for sure. And it's also the other way. It makes it harder to um to do some prescribed burning and some preventative measures there. So if it is a bit wet through there and you don't get the right window of time between it, it's, it gets too dry, um, you can't do the preventative burns. And that's always a struggle with managing um, being out for the, yeah, the preventive at either end of the season. It's either too hot and risky or it's too wet and you can't get a decent burn and then you haven't, hasn't been effective that way. Right. Uh, so what, uh, what kind of distances do you have to travel and how do you prepare for, uh, for the drive? Yeah, well, just to get, um, for me, just to get to the, I've got an office in, uh, in town just to get there and back. That's 50 kilometer um, trip just to get, get there. So that's where your main shops are. So just simple things like that is, is having enough, having a fuel for, for the basics and having some water and, and all of those. But that's, um, there's, WA is a very um, mining or resource uh, driven economy. There's a lot of uh, mining works, which with the distances of the state, like I, I, one place I used to work up in the north was, it was 3000 kilometers I'd travel to get to work. You didn't fly in, fly out. So it'd be 400 kilometer drive, um, which what's it, 300 miles in freedom units. Um, the, okay. Then two flights, one from, Perth up to Broome, another one Broome to Kununurra, and then a, a good three-hour bus trip. So the, your first day, you've travelled 3,000 kilometres and you haven't even left the state. So that's wow. just to get to work. So it certainly adds complexities. Like if you forget your phone charger in your way for a couple of weeks, even just the simple things, you've got to sort of have a bit of a plan. So what kind of uh, limitations? So a lot of people f- travel, uh, fly for for work or for vacation. Uh, but just getting to work and knowing that you are going to live your regular life while you're doing that, um, what limitations do you have on what you can bring going on the air, airplane and in uh, in your driving? Uh, you mentioned um, 
before this, the types of vehicles you might uh, might be using if you hire a car and uh, you're not in your own car. So how do you work around that and uh, with with the constraints you have? Yeah, it's, uh, so some one one job I've done was we didn't always know exactly where we're going to go because there was a we're working over quite a, a large area. So you like I had a heap of stuff. We had a sort of work car in my cross shift. Um, she had her stuff, and we left out the basics in there. But um, certainly dangerous goods and like gas burners and little sort of cooking stuff. You didn't have the choice that had to be on site or you couldn't take it. So some of those things always add a bit of a challenge and physical weight limits of. Um, of what you can carry on a, on a plane for a few weeks. Obviously, food and stuff's out there, but um, that's fine if you've got your car. But depending on what happened and where we were going to, sometimes it was you'd fly into a particular regional airport and then that for that next two weeks, you had to go and get a high car. So you didn't even necessarily know what vehicle it was. Now, a lot of the, um, because it's a resource state, a lot of the higher companies have what's called mine spec vehicles and they've got a flashing light and a flag and all the other maybe two spare tyres. But apart from potentially a set of safe, a set of um, reflective safety triangles and, and, and a UHF radio, there wasn't always much in there. So water, you with uh, travel, you can't, couldn't always take a lot of water. So you had to plan some empty water bottles to go and actually go and buy a few water bottles or things like that. So the basics, you really had to use your wits um, and more simple processes rather than being able to have a nice, good uh, preparedness bag. Right. So with uh, with all of these considerations, everything you've done to prepare, um, the different experiences you've had, in what ways has preparedness worked for you? What ways did it uh, help you be successful in in critical situations? Yeah, uh, there's there's been quite a few, been a few, um, and a few of them have been lessons learned from when it didn't quite work out well, and obviously your, your normal your PPRR of prevention, prepare, respond, uh, respond and recover. Um, you can prepare as well as you like, but you need to be able to um, make sure you ideally prevent is the best end if you can work on the right. prevention side. Um, but yeah, like one one time I was working at, I was living up um, in the north and where I like with companies changing, end up having to either fly all the way down to Perth overnight and then catch another flight halfway back up to where I was living or I could drive from where I lived. So I, drove, I used to drive, it saved a lot of time um, to drive, which is was 1,300 kilometres, what's that, about 800 miles um, to drive and I had to start night shift. So the logical thing was I'd, I'd drive at night. So I'd leave at like 6 p.m. in the evening and um, and drive and you'd drive sort of till you got tired. And I made a joke to my sister one time when I was driving. I said, oh, I'm just going to drive till I get tired and I'll crash on the side of the road. But yeah, um, that particular trip I did um, hit a kangaroo and went under the wheels and I, was all, I thought I was pretty well prepared with the vehicle. But next thing I wake up sort of after getting uh, rolled over on the side of the road, and a little bit dizzy, so just the basics of thinking, okay, it's okay, I've got a phone, I'm not far from town. Um, I'm, I, I didn't have a radio and a few other more reliable communications methods, but um, it didn't really matter because once I rolled, the phone was on the dashboard, um, which meant that got launched into orbit. So <laughs> some of the basic preparedness stuff of having that nearby, it was going, well, it certainly was within reach, but it doesn't help when it's now somewhere out at 2 o'clock in the morning in the bush. So, yeah, it's, that was a, a bit of a lesson with a few things. I went, okay, it's okay, I've got a torch, um, but I couldn't find that because that was gone as well. Got out of the car and I went, hang on, it's dark. I don't actually even know which direction the road is. So, because wow. they'd obviously gone off the side of the road, it was fairly flat um, river plains kind of country. So, 
but what I did, I knew I did. I just, I did know some things that were around the car that wouldn't have got moved. So under the seat, I jammed an old um, work jacket which had reflective stripes from a like a high vis kind of jacket. I went, well, if I, I looked, I did manage to find where the road was once my eyes adjusted and I wasn't so dizzy. I, I popped a fair knock to the head, and I, what I worked out later, I was unconscious for a little bit of time sitting in the car. Um, but yeah, with that high vis jacket, I managed to flag down a truckie, and knowing where that was, when everything else was gone, or the torch was gone all the other bits and pieces that I would have used. Um, yeah, I just, I could at least wait, go down to the road and flag someone down and not on the side of the road about 30 kilometers from the nearest town and some in the dark, I probably got run over if I didn't have some sort of high vis to at least be able to get some tired trucky that's just driven a thousand kilometers. So yeah, right. some basics like that have helped is just knowing where your stuff is and, and remembering don't put phones and wallets and stuff on the dash, stick them in your pocket. It's right. an important Even- thing. Yeah, that is really interesting. You know, we, we think about uh, emergencies and disasters. We know they're high-stress situations. So when something happens, we're kind of not in the right mindset anyway. But but a lot of us don't really consider that we ourselves might be injured or incapacitated in some, in some sense. And you know, having experienced the rollover, you're sitting there disoriented, uh, beat up a little bit, and trying to, to get your bearings and take care of all your, of your basic needs. Absolutely. So, it's, yeah. I think I scared the uh, truckie because I was covered in blood because head wounds obviously bleed a fair bit, oh, which I didn't realize right. at the time because I, I didn't even know. I, I knew I had a bit of dry blood on me, but yeah, I had to look after and it was a bit of a bit of a crime scene. So the poor truckie <laughs> had, just had some random person walk out of the bush in the middle of the night covered in blood. So yeah, it was a, um, an interesting event. But yeah, yeah that thing of, of making sure you're ready um, is is important people carry spot trackers but they don't turn them on to the track function and that so they wait or a sat phone and they go oh, I'll, I'll pull it out when i need it but that's assuming you're in good mind to be able to do so right yeah this is super valuable information learning from learning from your own experiences and mistakes is is one thing that you know in, in emergency management uh we try to do all the time if it's a, a real event and we have opportunities for improvement or if we do a, a training and extra or exercise and we try to validate our plans we identify things that we can improve uh, thanks thanks for sharing that um what are some uh what are some tips that you have uh, based on that situation and, and other experiences you've had for other people um well, most of the stuff i've learned like you said is i've learned from other people certainly um in my current role, I've worked more in the health and safety function, which means we're the uh, um, master of no trades um, because we're there to help every the other people that are doing the work. So I learned most, virtually all of what I, I know off the people that are doing it. And sometimes it's the things that didn't work well, but um, the experts in particular fields know a lot more than they often realise and certainly a lot more than we often, as, as supporting functions realise. But like just the basic stuff of... Um, like if, if you're even if you're out camping or if you're out um if you're meant to be on call and you need a torch just have the torch in your pocket or or a, um like a headlamp have it like before you go to sleep put it around your neck things like that has always helped and having the important stuff you, you you always talk regularly about your needs is the things that are important to you and if your um contact list of, of the people you need to call or, or your credit cards in your wallet or if, if you need to make sure you protect the things that you need um right. So understanding and like risk is the effect of uncertainty on objectives. So the the less uncertainty and and the better you understand your objectives is is a big thing of having everything close by that you need and um 
and knowing where it is before you need it. Yeah, that's really important. Thank you. Uh, the yeah, the, the the needs aspect helps regardless of uh, any of the issues uh, that you face because you always need what you need. Um, your response will, will vary from from time to time. Uh, so with with the uh, spot tracker, do you want to explain that a little bit? Uh, we have um, we have some uh, tracking options with our cell phones uh, in the states, uh, but how how do you use your spot tracker and how does that benefit you? Uh, so yeah, the spot track, that's one brand and it's, um, I think they're one of the um, innovators from what I understand of, um, of that function. And then there's a few other brand options around now. And from what I can tell, some may possibly be better than others and, and then depends where you are. So some are, a lot of the forums say that they're great uh, in built up areas, but maybe not depending where you are better for maritime option or whatever, but they're, they're a great function that they're, they're they're cheap and accessible. They're only about a couple of hundred bucks to buy and they cost about to register about the same as your Netflix login. So it's not particularly expensive to register and you can, you don't have to sign up for years. You can do that or you can do it for a month or two if it's just for your holiday um, and, and things like that. But it works off, the, off a, a GPS signal as opposed or a satellite signal as opposed to um, a, a mobile or a 4g or 5g setup right. so they work anywhere and they've got the because they, i mean there's ones that have two-way signals now but a lot of the the basic versions have an sos function which is the same as an epurb so i don't actually know like for most um outside of where you need an actual epurb they work effectively just as well at a quarter of the price so they're a great option even if you just want an epurb for your four-wheel driving trip um, but they also have a couple of other really good options of an I'm okay function. And it sends right. um, a text and or an email to someone of, and you set it all up first. So I, lots of people go and buy these things, think they're safe, but they haven't set it up, which means it's not going to work. We'll, but we'll come back to that concept. But the uh, <laughs> is, yeah, an I'm okay thing. So we used to use it where people were working out in the field with expiration out in the um, taking rock chip samples or doing uh, heritage or fauna surveys and they're, they're out 15 or 20 kilometers from your campsite um, but really uh, you're probably beyond the UHF radio range of that line of sight of a few kilometers but having an I'm okay at 10 a.m and 2 p.m you at least knew they're alive and then you could set your process up to try and follow that but it also had it um, even on the old gen 2s uh, and up to think gen 4 now the they had a, um, I need non-urgent assistance. So that was great mm. for if you just got bogged in your car. You didn't, you weren't quite injured. You weren't worried about hitting the SOS because the SOS just went to um, basically emergency command. So that was the same as setting off an EPIRB. Um, so that activated, yeah, the, the rescue dog. So that really went, um, you didn't always want to do that if it was just a minor issue, you run out of fuel. But the I need non-urgent assistance was fantastic. And it set it up as a text or email to, to a particular whether it's within your organization or it's um, your friends or partners or you had a really good functionality there and they were quite cheap. Um, and the other one, the other function I had was a tracking option. So when you hit any of these, it, it sent a GPS, like dropped a cookie or a pin where, where you were. So someone would get a message or an email that said, I'm whatever your message was and they knew where you were and your predetermined message. So it's a really cheap accessible way, but the, that only works, like you said, if you've got your wits about you and you're not injured. If you've rolled a car and you're unconscious on the side of the road, um, no one knows where, the, where you are. So at least with the track function, it dropped a cookie every 10 minutes. And even with the track set 24-7 on the old um, on the old news, the battery still lasted at least 
like five or six weeks. Wow. So like for a couple of AAA batteries, it's a pretty economical way to keep to keep safe for any of your holidays. Right. Especially traveling long distances like that. Absolutely, I, uh, yeah. I lived off and on in California as a teenager, and they had a lot of a lot of their highways uh, phones on the side of the highway, and you know those became partially obs- obsolete with uh, with cell phones becoming uh, more common. But um, if your cell phone is launched off off the road, you can't find it. You know that's something the infrastructure. But everything was so close together there, uh, as compared to in rural areas or in Western Australia. Yep, yeah, for sure. Like that, so that drive that I was talking about, that was 1,300 kilometers, and I went through two towns. Wow. wow. So, so it's, it's a fair hike. Um, and doing it at night, there was two other roadhouses I went past, so they're not exactly a town, um, but the roadhouses, they closed at 10 p.m. So there was, you had to plan your fuel, you had to plan everything, and there, there wasn't a lot of help if you got in trouble. Right. So are there any other uh, bits of wisdom you want to share? We're going to do something uh, kind of on the fun side in a, in a minute. But before we get to that, is there anything more, anything serious you want to share? Um, yeah, all of these processes that we've got, we're talking about phones and sat phones. There, there's a lot of issues um, that I'd heard about from other people that, like in some of the places I worked, that didn't work well. And there's a number of times we've heard stories of someone that's, oh, I've got a sat phone. Okay, so does it work? Yeah, yeah, it's work. Someone's paying for it, and then finds out the IT department's cut the funding and has disconnected it, or the batteries are flat. Um, or the other one, even if it is charged, is going. Have you ever used a sat phone? And the right. different sat phones in different companies, even within the same like group, we had about five or six sat phones at one site, and some of them needed the double O double one international code. You had to punch that in. Other ones you just dialed it like a normal local number. Other ones had some other weird combination that you had to do double zero, then skip to the country code. It was all all sorts of weird and wonderful things. So it's one, does the device work? To, like, Do you know where it is? Um, is it charged? But also, have you ever used it? Some people don't uh, haven't actually used a fire extinguisher or haven't used a cell right. phone to be able to sort of go, well, it might sort of kick a bit all the... The, the powder, the dry chemical powder is quite, chokes you. I've nearly fallen off the top of a truck one time, like putting out a fire because it all, like the powder went everywhere from the heat. And mm-hmm. but the sat phone is people don't always allow for the delay. And knowing that you do ring someone, the, there's a fair chance if the person you're ringing isn't prepared for a sat phone, they'll go, hello, hello, think it's a prank caller and then hang up. Right. Before you've had the, that two or three second pause to know. And then if that's an emergency and you're panicking, you've got to understand that's, Maybe you need to call, we call them back. Um, that might take two or three calls. Do you have the number punched in? All of that stuff. Does it work? I've seen people carry spot trackers around that have never turned them on. They weren't even connected, um, but they felt safe. And that's that's even more dangerous, is mm-hmm. having something that you think works that doesn't. I'd rather not have anything. And then they, they don't make allowances for that. That false sense of security for something they think works is, is really like carrying a, a spare tire that's flat. You're wasting your time. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's a uh, it's buying an emergency kit that doesn't meet your needs. Something cheap off of Amazon. You're like, oh, I'm good for emergencies. Or uh, organizations have an emergency plan, but they haven't tested it or practiced practiced it, pulled it out. It's just gathering dust. So having the plan, they think, okay, we're ready for emergencies, and it's gathering dust, and they they are less prepared because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um that's yeah it ends up being really uh, that false sense of security, getting activity mixed up with achievement. 
like on that first aid kit thing we used to put on some sites we didn't have the little crappy vehicle first aid kits that had like a couple of safety pins and seven band-aids and all this other stuff that didn't work we just got a couple of trauma trauma bandages and shell dressings and some eye wash and that's about and some broad bandages and that's it and that was way more effective for that source at a trauma level than worrying about a splinter gouge and a safety pin to tie up a nappy right yeah it's uh i went through that i was a, a medic with the uh with the army and processing through my uh, aid bag at some at some point i just had one big bag with tons of stuff thrown in it at another point i decided i was going to take two bags but then i focused okay what in what situations would i need which of these items and i developed a smaller first aid kit that was for day-to-day had some medications had band-aids uh, things like that and then i had the trauma kit and then i had all of the rest of my supplies built up so it was it was based on on function instead of just trying to have everything i could possibly ever need but it's just like okay here are the, here are the things that i really use pretty often let's make those easily accessible and then have a reserve of supplies as well. Absolutely, all that stuff. Of, um, like the my, the pre-hospital trauma life support course was awesome, and that was a great one where they're going, yeah, okay, CPR and all the fancy stuff, but okay, you're doing it laying down, or someone's still in the car, you can't, they're trapped in the car. What do you do? That right. that sort of thinking outside the box and going, you need to make it work and understand what your priorities are and what their priorities are. Lift the head, open the airway. That may be all you can do, but understand that. And don't waste your time with all the other um, bells and whistles. Right. Yeah, we were talking about fire extinguishers and how m- most people haven't ever used them. I, I joke with people when I'm I'm training them how to use a fire extinguisher. I say it's really simple. It's just like using a hand grenade. And <laughs> because because the number of people who have used a hand grenade and, and the number of people who use the fire extinguisher, you know, not not exactly comparable, but it's a small number for each. So so people are are unlikely. To have used a fire extinguisher but they're also unlikely to have used hand grenades so i, I try to compare those uh, but say you're more likely to need the, the fire extinguisher so let's yeah. let's practice that absolutely and with the like it, in the um in australia they they have to get hydrostatic tested every five years and it's marginal whether like most of the companies um won't even bother servicing they'll just go oh, we'll take it you put it in the bin so most workplaces have a stack of fire extinguishers that are out of date they can't use they've got to buy mm-hmm. new ones use it for training go and get a go and get a drum and a couple of pallets and a lot of fire and get your people through it's you right. can throw the thing in the bin anyway yeah yeah get some use out of it absolutely uh, i'm i'm a huge fan of of incorporating uh, expired or or equipment that you're cycling out of and incorporate that into your training material absolutely all right so let's let's um go a little on the fun side so you, you said your father yep and you love the show bluey yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, who doesn't, right? Um, so in one episode, they play hospital. Yep, a very good. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was one of the first ones, and the the father has a, a cat in his belly. Hypothetically, you know, they draw a picture yep. of the X-ray. Uh, Bingo draws the picture of the X-ray uh, that there's a uh, the cat in there. Bluey says there's nothing she can do. Um, and you've got, you've got the dad stuck with, with a cat in his, in his belly. So, um, what would you do in that situation? Oh, so if, if I'm stuck out in the middle of nowhere and some there's, there's a, a medical emergency of a cat, well, that's started to get into segregation side of it. You've, you've got to do the, oh, uh, a bit of now, now, um, look after yourself and, and try and keep positive, um, and be honest. 
most people like there's not like with the, whether someone's unconscious or dying and if it's a, a dog with a cat inside them well it's a recipe for disaster that's a i'm guessing there's going to be some anaphylaxis so i'll be chasing an epi pen from that uh, <laughs> that side of it and uh yeah you're just trying to keep them uh calm and happy and, and be rapidly trying to get someone go and call a vet right <laughs> See what help you can get here so if if you're in a situation and it's a medical emergency and you have um if you have one of your kids with you now i'll assume that your kids are not uh expert field medics uh, not yet but the oldest one's 10 years old so that, that probably have right. to something but so let's say let's say you are injured uh and can can talk them through how would you manage the situation in which your kids are unharmed but you are harmed so let's say you have a, a a broken leg or a severe laceration and you need their assistance what kind of direction are you going to give them how will you keep them calm but also what what assistance can you receive from them without without significant training yeah once they'd stop laughing at me from whatever i've done to hurt myself because uh, <laughs> a good aussie good aussie uh, character is uh, a good sense of humor um, I think they do all right. They're, certainly the oldest two, um, well, the middle one, he's still doing, Rose is still doing scouts now, and the oldest one had done scouts. And I, uh, about a, probably, I think, a year ago, um, take my youngest boy, he uh, fell off his scooter and had a big laceration just under his eye, and it bled a fair bit, all the, the head wounds. And before I even knew it, Jed, who hadn't done scouts for a fair while, was out there in pretty much quick, as quick as I could get there. It was just out the front, um, and was there with his little first aid kit that he'd made in scouts about two or three years before that he still carried in his school bag and rocked up with that with, and it was the closest thing we had to a little, um, a, a decent dressing was an eye patch because it was only a tiny right. little um, first aid kit, but just had a decent understanding of that stuff. So they've got a, they've got a reasonable understanding of the basics. Um, and they're also, we've, we've discussed it before that if I do um, fall over or have something else, they know we've got a spare phone, mobile phone that sits in the house that's got the emergency numbers of, of, of half a dozen people in there. They know how to, um, certainly the oldest ones know how to call the emergency, the triple zero, um, which is our 911, um, th that side of it. So, yeah, they've got a, got a reasonable understanding to be able to raise the alarm um, I think it'd be they'd be too busy uh, fighting over who got to poke the wound or, or, or look when when I when I move Dad's leg and it makes his crunching sound he wriggle, he wriggles a lot. <laughs> that, that'd yeah. have a good that'd have a good lot of fun there. Um, but yeah, no. it's just it's just um, spending the time preparing, obviously preventing themselves. So I try try and make sure I don't do anything stupid and like climb on the roof as such when when I'm by myself and all of those things and make sure that they know where the phone is at all times. That's awesome. Yeah. In incorporating your family in, in uh, your training and in preparedness can be a fun experience. You can have a lot of laughs, uh, but it also can, can be extremely beneficial. Absolutely. All right. So for those who want to be able to find you, uh, where, where do they go? Um, yes. Yeah, so, so uh, Instagram, my, uh, the main business page is safety risk solutions on, on Instagram and Facebook as well. That's, um, that's probably the main one it's for my other, the other life of the farm, it's Pantelop Farm. So if you, my surname is Pantel, but if you look at the um, local Noongar dialect or the indigenous dialect, um, when a, a suffix at the end of the word up is a place of, so place of Pantel. So that's my little farm down here in Narrakup in the uh, Great Southern of WA. So those uh, Pantelop Farm or Safety Risk Solutions are the two key ones. 
That's awesome. And you've lived you've lived there off grid for a while. Yeah, so uh, lived here full time for you know, over ten years, and um, but had the yeah the off grid set the farm for about fifteen years, and and all the off grid power side of it was probably about twelve or thirteen years ago. Got that um, up and going. So when it was a little bit less cool than it was now, right? Uh, so for yeah, for everyone out there, you can find um, Vadim on Safety Risk Solutions on Instagram or Pantalup Farm. Uh, and we'd like to thank you for, for coming on and for sharing your experience and wisdom. Is there any last bits you want to share? No, um, the only other thing I was thinking is my um, spot track is an old Gen 2, and I think there's a lot of other new brands around now. I think uh, that might be something you should do is do a bit of a product review or get some feedback from people on what one I should get next because I, I think I need to get an upgraded one. Um, but I may as well listen to the experts. My knowledge is a little bit rusty on that. So, yeah, either yourself or your your team out there be good to know what's a good a good solution to buy right yeah i'll i'll look into it and if anybody has uh, any any ideas for upgrading a spot tracker let us know so thanks for coming on and uh everybody remember that preparedness works <laughs>